You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm supposed to, to start radio? the show. Yeah, like, you, know, you forget this, this, this is what days. happens. Like, I thought Sarah was starting the show, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, she's really feeling the music. It's been a few days. No, it turns out I'm just an idiot. So we are right where we left off in our usual greatness of me yeah. not knowing how to be a professional. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah and I have not been together all week, and you can tell, like, maybe it's just got, you know, just a little, got, got a little, little kink to work out. That's all, yeah, Sarah. Just, just a little rust. Just a little, little, little rust. kink. It's, just uh, like your aces are going to have tonight. Oh, man. It's too early to start the trash talking, isn't it? No, it is not I don't at think all. So. Listen, too there's only early. four teams left that uh, that I that I care about. It's the four teams playing tonight, and there's only one of them that I want to win. So uh, I don't the know Vegas how I'm going to manage the Vegas appreciate so much and their opponent to lose. I don't know how you're going to make that happen, I, how you can have Mercury in. But uh, somehow, I just want the Sky to win, and I want your team to fail. Well, you guys can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. I promise I'll be nicer to you than we've been nicer than we have been to each other early on. ESPN <laughs> Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back. So are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. The fans really deserve a Sky Aces final in the WNBA. That is what I am rooting for because that way, either way, the show wins. That's what I have to mm-hmm. say. Now, I'm not sure most weeks we can say either way most of us win from Thursday Night Football as I was pretty clear last week it was going to be a trash matchup this week we get an interesting matchup let's say it this way (laughs) as the Bengals are taking on the Jags two teams that uh, come in with very different levels of hype around them from their fans Bengals fans got to be looking at a two-in-one start saying hey maybe we're legit and Jags fans got to be looking at an 0-3 start saying it's just taking Trevor Lawrence a little bit of time Sarah Yeah, I mean, listen, the Bengals are still a little bit of a mystery to me. I've really liked some of what we've seen from Joe Burrow, and obviously that connection he has with Jamar Chase that we had a couple questions about during the preseason has proven to be a great investment for them to grab Chase, and their connection is real. But they lost to my Bears, okay? Just remember that. Uh, So until we decide that this team is truly uh, uh, you know, in the conversation, I guess, is the best sports radio way of putting it, I need to see them beat a couple more good teams. Um, The Jags are not a good team. So whatever happens tonight, save a Bengals disastrous loss. I don't know what's going to tell us that much more about either of these. I do want to see more from Trevor Lawrence, though. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is um, in a terrible situation, and it's gone a lot of the way we've expected. Uh, Worth noting, though, that turnover-wise, he is making some bad history. (laughs) He's (laughs) He's in a good collection of people. The only other quarterbacks with two interceptions, at least in each of his first three starts, are Troy Aikman and Peyton Manning. Decent company. Not a good statistic that you want to be making history with, though. Well, and and realistically, right now, rookie quarterbacks are 1-10, in with the only win being Mm. a rookie over a rookie, with 10 touchdowns and 18 interceptions as a collective group. So we really believed that it was going to be an epic rookie quarterback class, and so far, it's a, uh, you know, slow to warm up. Could still be. Could still be. A thousand percent. It is way too early to call any of it a failure or success. Now, I think one thing that we can look at from the Bengals is what, you know, what does Joe Burrow look like? And that was going to be our big question coming off the injury. Could the offensive line actually protect him this year? They've done a better job than we expected. And Jamar Chase, frankly, had a lot of a reputation for having a case of the drops in the preseason. And during it's a dropsies. 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 Case yes, of the dropsies, yeah. Can't have a case of the drops? Like, is no, that, no, it's, is it's that... official terminology is a case of the dropsies. 
Okay, well, that does sound less like a bathroom issue than a case of the drops. In the meantime, this is what Bengals reporter Ben Baby had to say about Jamar Chase and what he's added to the Bengals' offense on Canty and and Junior earlier. Yeah, I think Jamar Chase has done a really good job of bouncing back. I know a lot's been made about the drops that he had, and and those were a real thing. I think anyone who saw him, you know, on a consistent basis like we did uh, for several months leading up to the season know that that was an issue that, that the public really saw in the preseason games, but you have to give Jamar credit. You know, he's been rock solid for the most part throughout these three games. And, and the biggest thing is that he gives Joe Burrow that big plate thread and that touchdown he had at the end of the first half against Chicago was, was a prime example, or against the Steelers, excuse me, and that he was able to go out and just go make a play and Burrow was able to throw the ball downfield and have trust that Jamar was going to bring it down. And, and Jamar definitely did that. And, and that's what he brings to this offense, an offense that's really struggled to be explosive, and, and get big plays, and, and, and Jamar brings that capability to them, and he's going to be big if the Bengals want to continue this push that they've had through the early part of the season. Well, and yep. Sarah, I, th- I think you also got to look at lack of big plays sometimes comes from the fact that when your quarterback drops back and is getting murdered right away, you don't really right. have the opportunity for big plays. That's part of why I think we're seeing better big plays this year uh, by Burrow and by the Bengals. Absolutely, and and that connection with Chase, a big part of it. He's got 11 passes for 220 yards and four scores. Uh, in total, three catches on deep passes for 126 yards, all of which have gone for touchdowns. So he's easily teaching other teams that he's a threat downfield, and that's going to open things up for other people on the team as well. And to your point, Burrow needed time and space to be able to hit those deep threats, and he is a lot more now because of the investment they made to kind of help shore up the offensive line a little bit. So I'm enthusiastic about those two guys. Um, I just need to see a little bit more against some good teams to know whether the Bengals are just getting better or are you know a team that actually can, can deserve a little bit more respect. The Jags um, don't deserve anything right now other than a lot of questions about how things are going under Urban Meyer in his first year and what kind of damage might be done to Trevor Lawrence, if any, being in the situation that he's in. Um, there was some uh, commentary from Mike DiRocco, our Jags reporter on Canty and Golick Jr., about that locker room and how two guys who are very used to winning are taking all the losses. Pretty high in that locker room. I have not heard of any you know, major issues or any you know, problems in there. Now, one, one big reason for that, too, is the new recovery area that he got the, the owner to, to spring forward to get into the facility so these guys don't have to go outside and pay for any treatment and stuff so they are really happy about that um but you know you're going to start to wonder as the as the losses mount you know what's it going to be like in that locker room a guy's going to kind of get sick of hearing the same stuff because you guys know and, and as a former player when, when you hear the same thing over and over and over then you don't get the results you start to tune it out um and it's a young locker room too i mean there are a few veterans in here but it's a young one in, uh, overall and that's the thing that you really can't have with that real young locker room, because if they see the veteran guys tuning out, then it, it could get really, really bad in there. But so far, no signs of that. But, uh, you know, it's week four, and we'll see how it goes after week five, six, seven, and eight. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be the real question, is how many weeks in a row can Urban Meyer lose before we start to ask real questions about a quarterback that I think everybody believed in? And and that's just something I can't – I, I can't stop wrapping my, my brain around the fact that I believe so much in Trevor Lawrence and he's looked so lost early on in the season. So we, we've spent a lot of time yelling about other teams that haven't necessarily maximized the young quarterback, but I'm not necessarily sure that we shouldn't also be already yelling about Urban Meyer because every mm-hmm. single week we get a little bit uh, louder about what the heck is wrong 
with Trevor Lawrence. And I'm not sure anything's wrong with Trevor Lawrence. I just will continue to say I believe the Jags will fail Trevor Lawrence before Trevor Lawrence will fail the Jags. It's Spain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And as always, every week we do it. Every week we hold ourselves accountable. Well, we're going to do it next. Coming up, we've got receipts. We'll recap our five-pick Friday. And Dan Orlovsky said something that uh, Sarah's got some hot thoughts on. You'll hear him next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM Channel 80. You guys can hit up, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Also, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, let's get straight to some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We haven't been together all week. I know. We've missed each other. It hasn't been the same, but... We are together now, and that means that the first thing we need to do is hold each other accountable for a weekend of picks. Everybody knows this on Fridays. We give you our five-pick Friday. Well, we, uh, we, we, we like to hold ourselves accountable. We keep, we keep receipts here. The picks are in. Some truly shined, while others demand accountability. We've got receipts on Spain and Fitz. I was excited, grateful, thankful that my decision to put faith in my Chicago Bears over the Bengals was rewarded. Unfortunately, I have to take Cleveland in this game. They are sparing no punishment on Justin Fields. The rookie quarterback sacked nine times. If the Raiders are legit this year, they should win this game. I think they will beat the Dolphins. Tremendous work by a, a mere child. Just win, baby. I'm taking Denver over the Jets. Losing sucks, and especially to the Jets. I'm going Arizona <laughs> over Jacksonville for one of my picks because it's easy to pick anybody over Jacksonville, and the Cardinals are really good. I also picked that game. The Cardinals' offense is going to run roughshod over them, and the Jaguars are a disaster. So I also have Arizona beating the Jags. Great minds think alike. Well, I think Carolina wins that game. I'm still not sure they're a great team, but they're better than Houston. We're going to take all the teams that suck and pick whoever's playing them because I also picked the Panthers over the Texans. Great minds think for themselves. I was really torn on this game. I think this is a pick em, but... I text Golick Jr. and I said, how do you feel about Notre Dame-Wisconsin? And he said, we're not winning it. That was enough Whoa. to push me over the edge. Whoa. Wisconsin is going to beat Notre Dame. Hey, Mike, man, you're like a genius. My body is tingling. <laughs> the Ravens over the Lions. What do you know? We agreed on that one, wow. too. I mean, pick against the bad teams. It's a good yeah. way to get it right. That's what we do right there. <laughs> it is good. Time has expired. Justin Tucker with the longest field goal in NFL history. The hay is in the barn, and it's mayhem on the field. <laughs> oh, that's WBAL and WBBM on the calls for that. Recapping, Sarah 5-0, and oh, and Woo! you know what? Two weeks I, in a row, 5-0. and oh. Two weeks in a row, I've, I've finished 4-1, and one and I've lost ground. And you know what really makes me mad? I don't, you, I don't, you know, I, I film Annabelle every Saturday morning. She picks the side of game day game every Saturday morning. And you know what? Uh, that was her game. She had to pick Notre Dame, Wisconsin. She picked Notre Dame. And my immediate thought was, I cannot believe I didn't tape this yesterday so I could yep. pick the same yeah. that she picked. Annabelle's still you undefeated. Michael yep. Jr. has just totally led me astray. Wow. Feeling Wow. You just listen to your dog. Uh, what makes me angry is that Stosh used Ferris Bueller against me. Uh, but it was fair <laughs> because the Bears deserve that level of trolling. And nine times was very well used. Excellent work, Stosh. Five and zero, oh, two weeks in a row. I should, uh, 
I should start gambling on this. Like I said, I was going to, and then I went to Mexico and I didn't actually put my bets in. So this week, I'm going to put money down on my picks. Ooh, Ooh. wow. That is swanky. Look at you. I feel good Mm -hmm. about that. Are you going to pick the Bears with money on the line? Uh, I didn't have to make that pick until tomorrow. It's Bears Lions. I was like, this has to be a gimme. And I'm like, wait a minute. We're terrible and the Lions are competitive. It's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Well, if things don't get better for the way the Bears offense looks, I think some people within this entire company, their minds might explode. I got to get before we hear from Orlovsky. I got to hear from you, Sarah. You watched it. I mean, give me your thoughts. I'm glad we made this straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless because that's all I can give at this point. I couldn't watch live because I was in Mexico. And so I actually took the time to watch the full game, despite being told repeatedly by anyone else who watched it, including Mina Kimes today, who described it as tied for the scariest video she's ever seen slash movie. Uh, It was awful. Uh, There were accusations of intentional malpractice from Matt Nagy because of the play calling, that he might be intentionally sabotaging his own quarterback based on... The, the decisions that they made. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that Matt Nagy set up Justin Fields to fail. I believe that he is not the guy for the job anymore. And I tried my best to defend Nagy because there was that first year. Now, listen, he had Vic Fangio leading a great defense, but there was some creativity. There was in some ingenuity. He was AP coach of the year in part because of Nagy and that D, but also because of some really interesting and creative play calling. He used Mitch Trubisky in the best possible ways that first year. They, they were a playoff team. They were a legitimate team. And since then, it's just been hanging on to that, and I can't hang on to it anymore. The Bears had 1.1 yards per play, okay? Mm. Their total offensive output was 47 yards. That's the second lowest number this millennium. Justin Fields was put in an absolute untenable situation. Even though we've seen plenty of rookie quarterbacks struggle this season, no one looked more like they were set up to fail by the design around him. They did not establish a deep passing game, which is something that he can do extremely well. They did not give him room to push up in the pocket. They didn't give him room to really move around the back because the offensive line is so terrible that any rollouts or sprint outs, he barely had any time before they were all over him. It was disastrous from start to finish. They didn't do anything to use his better skills, and they didn't do anything to protect him against a defense that after the fact essentially threw Nagy under the bus, and rightfully so, saying... We expected him to do X and Y and whatever. They didn't do any of it. They just did the same stuff over and over again, making it incredibly easy for us to feast all day long. And I don't blame anyone who's calling for Matt Nagy's job. I don't blame anyone who's calling this game and this start to the season a disaster. But I do think Dan Orlovsky went a little too far when he said this. If Justin Fields, if the Chicago Bears are going to go to Justin Fields, whether it's this week or, you know, at the end of the season and nothing changes and they say we're going to continue to move forward with Matt Nagy, 100% they should figure out a way, if it's unlikely, try to get out of Chicago. Okay. It's way too early for that. I'm of the opinion that there has been a dearth of great quarterbacking in Chicago, but the only real true thing across the hundred years of the franchise and that problem is like Virginia McCaskey. So do we think that she's the reason the quarterback play sucks or have they continued to either choose wrong or lead wrong? I don't think that it's impossible to succeed as a quarterback here, but it might be impossible to succeed under Nagy if he does what he's doing. Fields doesn't have to try to get out of here. The team has to make a decision. 
get rid of Matt Nagy and understand how to best use a player who's never really been a quick game passer, who likes to hold the football, likes to extend plays with his legs, and needs more time. Fitz, I've been saying this since the beginning. The team told us he's not ready and the team's not ready. And guess what? Every single talking head except for me, and I'm not giving myself credit, I just listened to what the team said and believed them instead of presuming that they were lying because they'd promised Andy Dalton something. I didn't think that was possible with jobs on the line, and I was right. They were telling us he's not ready. That doesn't mean he's not going to be great. It means he's not ready right now. The team is not ready. The offensive line is not ready to protect him. And with this per- play calling, which better change, and Matt Nagy better take himself off of play calling and give it over to his offensive coordinator, it's not going to. He's still not going to be ready. But at least they were being honest with us when they told us Andy Dalton gave him a better chance to win. Well, not some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. All that's all I kept thinking when I was watching it. Is like. This is what the coaching staff told us, that he's not ready. And we can blame the coaching staff all day long for not getting him ready. We can blame the coaching staff for not looking at their basket of ingredients, as I always say, you know, and chopped, and not saying, okay, this is what we have. How do we cook a great meal with it? They didn't do that, and they they deserve a lot of blame for that. But also, why are we surprised by an entire coaching staff with with their jobs on the line that are stepping back and saying, oh, my God, like, he's not ready and now we're surprised when he doesn't look ready on the field. I, however he got there, I, I don't know why we're stunned by it. Yeah, I completely agree. And Fitz, I'm just sad too because I want some of this to be cleaned up so that when we take on your Raiders, it's actually fun. And I'm a little worried we're going to get our butts dragged just like when I went to Bears Raiders in London. I'm going to take my butt all the way to Vegas and I'm going to watch a butt whooping. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing in my life if that happened. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I, you know what I really want is, no, I don't want a competitive game. The two games so far in Vegas have both gone to overtime, and my heart can't <laughs> handle it at my age. Like, you I got a tough one this, this week. I mean, this, this was, I, need, I just need a couple of easy, like, easy home games in Vegas. That's all I'm asking for at this uh, well, point. Good, just, luck with, good luck with Justin Herbert and the Chargers this week. Yeah, I know, and which it creates a real dilemma because I've been standing during the game, so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to stand while we're on air Monday night. <laughs> Uh, the microphones in the studio don't really do that. I might have to hunch over. I get my might might have back problems. I don't It'd know. Be a hell happen. of a show. Uh, it's going to be. It's one way or the other. It's going to be a hell of a show. Coming up, Seth Wickersham, our friend, has written another great book. This one about the relationship between Bill and Brady. We'll talk to him about it next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, the author of the much-anticipated book, which I don't know, maybe he wishes it was out today instead of October 12th, but this matchup this weekend is certainly going to bring even more light to It's Better to Be Feared by ESPN senior writer Seth Wickersham. Hundreds of pages of great insight into Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, the Patriots, and eventually that divorce that led us to what is going to be a Belichick versus Brady matchup this weekend. Seth, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much. Tom Brady coming from a great place heading into this game because he doesn't have to say much. He said it all with a victory last year, Super Bowl win without Bill Belichick, and he's mostly taken the high road, saying he had a great time. He had a lot of success. He looks forward to seeing him. Belichick may be coming from a different position and seems to be saying that there was no desire to get rid of Tom Brady, that he just had a better option with the Bucks. By all accounts, other than Belichick's, he did want him out of there. What did you learn about their divorce? Well, I think that Bill Belichick thought that Tom Brady was either done or close to being done. And, you know, Brady didn't, he wasn't awful, obviously, that last year in New England, but you know, he seemed to be kind of missing his magic a little bit, especially without Gronk and and without Antonio Brown that year. And, 
you know, so, but it really came to a head in, in August of 2019. And they were negotiating a contract. Brady was upset at the way that it was going. He wanted, you know, he had just won his sixth Super Bowl and he wanted to play until he was 45 years old. And the Patriots as an organization, not just Bill, but as an organization, had doubts about his ability to do that. And Brady was so upset that he nearly left camp in protest in August of 19. They end up agreeing to a contract, which basically gives him a little bit of a raise and an out to be a free agent at year's end. And anybody who thought that Tom Brady might re-sign in New England got a little bit of a pretty, well, I'd say a pretty big hint when 24 hours after he signs the contract, he and Giselle Bundchen put their, their house mm-hmm. up on the market. And he said publicly he knew that he was probably done in New England then. So whether Bill wanted him back or not, I think, is kind of semantics at this point because in the NFL, and especially with the New England Patriots, money will always tell you how you're valued. And Tom Brady got the, got, got the message that, that I think the team was trying to deliver. So, Seth, I think it's it's always difficult when you try and go into these situations to write something that shows both sides of the story. How hard was it for you when you were presenting this entire story and, and putting everything together for your book? How hard was it for you to get actual insight on Bill's side of it because they are so quiet within his inner circle? I loved it. I mean, I love trying to do that because um, he's a brilliant football mind. And anything you can learn about his perspective – from you know people inside the building, people that he speaks with, and his own words, and uh, you know that to me was one of the most fun aspects of, of reporting the book in general. You know, going back to you know his days even before he was with the Patriots, and you know what he was like to work for during the very beginning of the dynasty, and what those days were like. I love trying to learn that stuff because he's such an astute football mind, and Tom Brady is also. I actually think that's one of the reasons why Tom Brady left New England in addition to the contract is because he wanted to be treated like an astute football mind beyond what the Patriots wanted to do. You look at him in Tampa, he's basically running the offense. He's a pseudo executive, you know, weighing in on personnel decisions. His body coach, Alex Guerrero, has an office in Tampa Bay and got a Super Bowl ring. This is the same Alex Guerrero who Belichick once banned from the team playing mm. the sideline and part of the New England Patriots building. And so I think that Brady felt like that he had, you know, he had amassed 20 years of incredible football knowledge and wanted to be treated as someone who, who had that and wanted to, um, you know, help the organization in a broader sense. But as he told Joe Montana, you know, they ask my opinion and I give it and then they do their own thing. Mm. Seth Wickersham, ESPN senior writer and the author of It's Better to Be Feared is with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitch. It's going to be out October 12th. You can read excerpts now on ESPN.com. The headline, New England Patriots book goes inside secretive and controversial franchise, Robert Kraft, Tom Brady, and Bill Belichick. You just mentioned this, and I'm curious. There's a great line in the excerpt talking about Tom wishing that he could be at a place that welcomed his input. Quote, Tom Brady had been curious if there was another way of winning, and while nobody was arguing that Bruce Arians was a better coach than Bill Belichick or even close, the seamlessness of Brady's proficiency and performance was making his former coach's methodologies look antiquated, even silly. It was better to be feared. 
but was it necessary? So that hints at some of the exterior conversation around the Patriot way. And just because they won, did you need to be a jerk in a cutoff sweatshirt every single time you talk to anybody? Did people enjoy their time there despite the fact that they were winning? And it also points to what you just said, which is how can you be the most successful player of all time and still not be respected in terms of input? And you look at that when you look at Aaron Rodgers and other players across the league. Is football and the NFL ever going to be a place where the players are given more than just go out there and play and we'll make all the decisions if it's not with Tom Brady? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I don't know, you know, I'm split on this. So I think that with people like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, you make concessions because these guys are all-time greats. They're at the end of their careers and you're trying to win Super Bowls while you have, you know, two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But, you know, should someone younger necessarily, you know, be brought in on personnel and coaching decisions? You know, what does that do to the locker room? Do the players think that they need to impress a quarterback to make the team? I I think that it messes up the dynamic. But I think when it comes to certain guys, like Brady and like Rodgers, especially when it has to do with decisions that affect their job, I mean, I think it would be insane to not welcome their input and strongly consider it. But that so when it works out well, Seth, you're totally right. It all makes sense. But I'm also looking over here at a Steelers organization that's absolutely in disarray because they let their quarterback continue to be part of the organization. They didn't address the position, and now they're stuck with a roster that's good and a quarterback that's holding them back. So is there some level of, like, while while I, I realize Brady's in a bubble in the way that he's treated, the, the mentality of the Patriots organization seems like there's some logic to it. Well, it's not just the Patriots. I mean, the, the Belichick way is is – different than other NFL teams, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, you know, I don't think the Steelers are where they are because of Ben Roethlisberger weighing in on personnel decisions. They have to make the decisions and even the greatest GMs are wrong 50% of the time, if not more. I mean, if the quarterback says, I think this receiver can play and he turns out that he can't and he's wrong, everybody would just say, Oh, this quarterback can't judge personnel. I mean, every team's draft, <laughs> you end up with at least half the guys who can't play. And so, um, you know, I just I don't think that's quite fair. I think it's more about if you've got an astute football mind, your entire career as a coach or a GM, an astute football mind at quarterback, your entire career as a coach or GM is going to be judged based on what you do with that quarterback. It, that's really it. Did you win Super Bowls or did you not? Jordan Love might take over for, the, for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, and if he wins a playoff game, he would be a pretty successful NFL quarterback by almost any other standard. By Aaron Rodgers' standards, it's not even close to what they would have with Aaron Rodgers. You've got to maximize that window while you've got those guys, and if that means bringing them in behind the curtain and, and asking them questions about things that affect their role, I think that, to me – is a really smart thing to do, but some teams just don't do it. We're talking to Seth Wickersham. He's the author of It's Better to Be Feared, a brand new book coming out in just a couple of weeks about Brady, Belichick, and the dynasty in New England. Before we let you go, quick question. In yeah. reading some of the responses to the excerpt and people who have gotten a look at the book, one of the lines I heard was, based on the excerpts released Wednesday, Bill Belichick's PR is going to take a massive hit when the book is released on October 12th. 
Do you think that sounds accurate? No, I mean, I would never write a book that I thought was positive or negative about Tom Brady or Bill Belichick. I mean, my entire job is to collect scenes and to collect facts and to collect insight and to try to make sense of it. And there's so many great moments in that book that involve Bill Belichick about just insightful about what it's like to actually work for him and begin your days at 430 in the morning, mm. what he was like during that that tragic season in 2007 where they almost went undefeated in the ways that he kept that team motivated, you know, because usually losses reset a team and that team had to use wins to reset them. And, and he did it. He's a brilliant football mind. And, you know, I, I did the very best I could to um, explain that and to show, you know, why he's become the greatest head coach in modern times. Yeah. I mean, even if it's completely uh, true and factual, it doesn't mean that certain people might come out looking a certain way. Uh, but I'm sure it is a, a balanced approach based on everything you learned. And it's hundreds of pages of the kind of insight everybody's looking for on this incredible dynasty and these players. We're looking forward to seeing them face off against each other this weekend. Uh, I assume that we all think the Buccaneers are going to take this one, right? I mean, my head says the Buccaneers, but my heart kind of says the Patriots, and I... Ooh, I don't bet, but juicy. I put a small amount of money that the Patriots would win. I don't know. I've Whoa! got a feeling. Oh, that. that's an excerpt we could take literally to the bank. <laughs> uh, Seth, thank you so much for the time. Congrats on the book. Thanks, thank bro. you, guys. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. For now, I guess Fitz and I can root for each other. I apologize for my outburst early in the show. I would like to see a Sky Aces final so while i'm not rooting for your team to have greater success than mine i will be okay with them having success until we meet up and then we can really uh you know brass knuckles no holds barred no rules uh street fight about it but they're both in action tonight it's spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 we are going to get into the wnba matchups tonight game two of the semis both of our squads are in action but we have been trying to get our clown car out of the shop and back on the streets, and we found the perfect opportunity with the new occupant to join the Spain and Fitz clown car. Spain and Fitz take you for a ride in the clown car. How funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I illusion. This earth flat, go around. Yeah. I think you need to do research on it. This just got left-handed, right-handed. Is he amphibious? Make me a bicycle clown! To, uh, that flat earther guy at some point. He's definitely got a permanent spot in the clown car for now with some of the uh, vaccination stuff going on. He's driving. Yeah, we don't have to reintroduce him every week. He's just a permanent occupant until he manages to work his way out of there, which I don't see happening anytime soon. Joining him this week, it might be one of the first clown car occupants I do have a little sympathy for just because it's such a terrible situation, but also incredibly stupid. Like, very, very clownish behavior. And that is Brewers reliever Devin Williams, who broke his hand celebrating the team clinching the NL Central on Saturday, said he had too much to drink, punched a wall on his way home, which is something, of course, Fitz, we all do when we're celebrating, right? 
I, I, that's I, the part that like <laughs> totally I, I lose my I get the I had too much to drink and I decided I was going to to celebrate too hard. I even get the like rage anger. I punched a wall like I don't understand it personally, but I understand. Okay, somebody went too far, but like celebrate punching. I don't understand yeah. it at all. Yeah, and I mean everybody feels that way, which is why the team had to go out of their way to say he was not in altercation, which is usually not something you say when someone injures themselves celebrating. But this is not a usual situation. This is a big deal, too, because Williams is the reigning NL Rookie of the Year, reigning reliever of the year, got some Cy Young Award votes last year for his efforts in the bullpen, their best setup man, their best reliever outside of their closer, Josh Hader, and he is likely to miss the entire postseason, potentially even the World Series if they made it. There is a small chance he could return. They have to put a plate in his hand. Here is what new clown car occupant Devin Williams had to say about it. On my way home, um, you know, I was a little frustrated, upset, and um, I punched a wall. So that's that's how it happened. Pretty upset with with myself. There's just no one to blame but me. Um, you know, I feel like I've let my team down, our coaching staff, our fans, you know, everyone. Um, I know how big of a role that I play on this team, and there's a lot of people counting on me. But, you know, I guess all I can do now is cheer my team on and learn from it and don't make that same mistake in the future. Okay, so first we got celebrating too much. Then we got he was mad about something. So did you get in a fight with someone during the celebration? Did you get a text from someone that made you angry and you were just so overserved you couldn't control yourself? Either way, Fitz, again, there is a part of me that feels sorry for him because it's so incredibly dumb But also, come on, man. And maybe the worst part is that he tried to hide it from the team. Here's what the GM of the Brewers, David Stern, said. Devin actually tried to throw with this yesterday. Um, We were not aware of this. He he went out and tried to throw. I think at that point, um, (laughs) we recognized that that he had hurt himself. Um, He came in, told our medical staff. um, We got him an x-ray during the game yesterday. Um, Got the results during the game yesterday. Uh, have consulted with our doctors today and and understand that surgery is going to be required. Mm, It's, gosh, just so disappointing. I mean, let's be real. I would have just, like, thrown myself on the ground or down the stairs or something to try and at least pretend that's how I hurt myself so I wouldn't have to admit it. Like, I got to give him credit. Carlos Boozer tripped over a bag, and they were like, his his (laughs) hand injury is really uh, completely in line with the injuries people get from punching a wall. I, I I have to at some point turn around and say at least I give him credit for owning up to it. You know, at least he came out and was like, "Hey, this is what I did. I'm an yeah. idiot, and I made this happen." Like, I, just I do so sad, that Fitz. That you just never know when you're going to get back and have these opportunities and be at your peak. And it's disappointing for him, for his teammates. I can't imagine their frustration with him. Kind of like when Bauer had the drone incident. Like, you just you need to prioritize the things that matter most, and that's a whole long season getting to you to here and not being available. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Congrats. Devin Williams, we're going to have to make a graphic. Maybe our guy, Angry Bears fan, Deadman, will make a graphic with just a series of clown cars connected, almost like a roller coaster. And each week when we add someone, we'll have a growing Ooh, graphic like of the clown car full of all the occupants that have gotten the quote-unquote honor of being being a member of the clown car on this show. Not clownish, our WNBA teams who both won the first game of their semifinal series. The Sky beat the Sun number one seeded son, by the way, in an insane double overtime game the other night. 
What a fun watch. Courtney Vandersloot, a triple-double, just the second WNBA playoff triple-double in history behind uh, Cheryl Swoops. Also broke the record for most playoff assists that Sue Bird held with 18. They face off against the Sun again, starting in about seven minutes here on ESPN2. And then Mercury Aces, your Aces taking the first game the other night. That starts at 10 Eastern. And your girl, Kelsey Plum, named uh, the Sixth Player of the Year award today. So one of your Aces getting a, getting a nice uh, honor there. Yeah, and by the way, the Aces, I, I don't, I'm not sure you can replicate the kind of shooting they had in game one. Like, you don't shoot almost oh, 50% from three-point. And, and expect to do that again and again. But, man, they just looked incredibly hot from the beginning to the end of that. I, I was surprised to see that dominant performance, but not a surprise. Frankly, I think the most surprising result we got was, frankly, this guy pulling it off against Connecticut at Connecticut. You're talking about 15-1 yeah. and one in the regular season at home, and they take a loss? to. The, I mean, I was really surprised to see that, Sarah. That's what I, I had the realization that, you know, I'm, I'm glad I didn't talk too much trash about the bet the first time because we might get a second round of which team's better in this process. Yeah, I told you, though, and I mentioned to you, this is a team – that had hiccups because of the Candace Parker injury and oh, yeah. a couple other injuries that slowed them down. But when they were at full strength and when Candace Parker was in there, boy, they are tough to beat. And, and we weren't sure because Jonquil Jones had been out for the two regular season games that the Sky had beaten the Sun. You didn't really know if that was an accurate representation of the matchup. And like you said, the Sun had won 14 straight games to finish the regular season before the loss to the Sky. Um, so, you know... This is going to be a good one tonight. There's going to be some tired legs out there, Candace Parker in particular, talking about her really lengthy recovery process after a regular game. Now add in a double OT game where she had to take on extra minutes as a veteran player. So we'll be keeping an eye on that tonight. Again, about five minutes away on ESPN2 from the first of those two. Good luck to your aces. Good luck to my sky. Thank you. Coming up, baseball's final weekend is going to be wild. We'll ask an expert about it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Thursday night. Got Thursday night football tonight. Got WNBA playoffs tonight. We'll keep you updated on how those are going. We got some baseball to get to as things are getting wild down the stretch. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including our next guest, CBS Sports HQ MLB analyst, Will Middlebrooks. Will, thanks for the time. Of course, happy to be back. We were just talking about Devin Williams. There's a part of me that has empathy, but we still had to put him in our clown car uh, for just the idiocy (laughs) of what he did. What is the impact on the Brewers moving forward to be likely without him for the rest of this run? It's massive. I mean, clown car. Yeah. I mean, no one feels worse than he does. I know he, he, I I am happy and I'm kind of proud of the fact that he came and sat in front of the media and said, Hey, this is what happened. I screwed up. You know, I can respect that. But at the end of the day, that doesn't help your team when your setup, your setup man is is in a, is in a cast throughout the, the postseason. So and this is going to put a lot of stress on the bullpen. I mean, simple as that. We know how much the bullpen is used in high-leverage situations in the postseason. We're looking at him coming in in the fifth, sixth innings if the, if, if the, if the bases are loaded in a big situation. You know, this isn't just the eighth-inning guy. It's a big situation guy. Now it's going to put situation, or it's going to put a lot of pressure on, on Josh Hader to get five, six-out saves. And, and now you're probably going to have a, a little longer leash on those stud starters, Woodruff, Corbin, uh, Burns and those guys uh, to go longer in the games. You can't just take them out in the fifth, sixth anymore. You're going to need them to get to the seventh to bridge that gap to Hater. 
All right, Will, everybody's got all eyes on the AL wildcard race. Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Mariners all fighting for two spots. It feels like every day I hear somebody tell me that one of these teams is a favorite and one of these teams has fallen off. So which two of those do you think end up making this? And then can they make any noise once they get in? Um, Man, it is so hard to tell you what I think will happen. I'll tell you what I want to happen. How about that? Is that fair? Oh, I'll take that. I think think – Boston gets in, and yes, I know they're losing to the Orioles again right now. I still think they get in because the <laughs> scheduling gods ha- are in their favor, and they get to yeah, they're losing to Baltimore. I get that, but they get to finish up with Washington, who's lost ninety four games. And then I, I, I think Seattle. I, I really like Seattle. I, I know New York is up a game uh, in that first spot, uh, but they got to go play the Rays. Now, the Rays, this is what's going to change my opinion. I, I, I need to see how the Rays are going to approach the Yankee series because if they rest their guys since they have the best record, which they should rest their guys, New York has a very good chance to win that series and stay in that number one spot. Um, but if they don't, there's some bad blood between Tampa and New York. Maybe they want to ruin their season. Maybe they want to knock them out. I could see that happening too, but Seattle, another team, Scheduling, it looks like this could happen because they just keep winning. They, since June 12th, they're 58 and 35. That's the best in the AL over that span. And you know, I'm digging deeper and deeper on Seattle because they they get to go play the Angels. Otani's probably done, so they're not going to have to face him. And that's not a very good uh, Angels team. I'm trying to figure out why Seattle's good. They're they're last in the league in batting mm-hmm. average. They're 23rd in the league in runs scored per game. They're right. 18th in pitching. So then I get deeper. They hit really well with runners in scoring position. They leave less than three guys in runner uh, scoring position every night. They play good defense. They let, make less than half an error every game. And then I ran across this, across this really cool stat on Fangrass called the clutch stat. Now, that measures a team's success in high-leverage situations. Most, let's say, seventh, eighth, ninth inning bases, you know, a guy in scoring position, you got to drive them in or keep them from coming in on the defensive side. Most teams finish between three and negative three. Philly – which it didn't help them get in the playoffs, uh, had a 3.6 clutch stat. They were in second place behind Seattle. Seattle had a nine. They have a nine, three times what good teams have. So they hit basically only when they need to in big situations and get the job done and just find a way to win. And that is the team you don't want to play right now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to CBS Sports HQ, MLB analyst Will Middlebrooks. I was listening to some some chatter today and realized that I don't I don't think I had taken a look at this in the NL race. We've all been talking about the Cardinals and their 17 game win streak, just this unbelievable stretch after the All Star game. But on the opposite side, they're going to take on the Dodgers or the Giants, and either of those teams is going to be a remarkable team to end up in a wild card race. Uh, just to look at the number of wins by a team that might end up having to play a wild card game. 104, 102, those are usually like leading an entire, you know, the entire league. And they are, it's just they happen to be playing each other. How absurd is that? And how dangerous will it be for those teams to take on that white hot Cardinals team? It's nuts. All right. So I'm looking at the NL West. And if you, Atlanta, who has a chance to clinch uh, the NL East tonight, they would be 18 games back of the division. Milwaukee would be nine (laughs) games back. Houston will be 12 games back, and the White Sox will be 13 and a half back. Those are all winning their divisions. That's a, it's a joke. But yeah, if, if you're the Dodgers, are, they, I mean, they want to win the division, obviously, but they are more comfortable than San Fran in a wild card game. 
They have battle-tested stud veteran pitchers. Scherzer, Bueller's been in big games. Urias has been in big games. Kershaw's back. The, the Giants can beat you in a series because they're a well-rounded, very good baseball team. But in one game, do they have that pitcher? Scalfani, mm-hmm. Alex Wood, Gosman? They haven't pitched in those tight games. I'll tell you, I've played in those games. Your heart's beating out of your chest. It's every pitch is the biggest pitch of your life, right? And we know they the Cardinals have experienced that. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, and the Cardinals, you're right. They've won 17 straight, right? I think the worst thing that happened to the Cardinals was them clinching uh, a couple days ago because they cooled off, right? They lost a couple games. Uh, they're resting their guys. They're going to lose that vibe a little bit. They're still a very good team. They're still going to have Wainwright on the mound, who's 40 years old and is having his, one of his best seasons. <laughs> through 206 innings. It's, it, baseball remains weird. It always will. But I don't know if they have the depth to win a series. Jack Flaherty just came off the IL uh, with a shoulder issue, and he's probably just going to be a bullpen option at this point. They're going to be rolling out John Lester out there, speaking another old, old ex-teammate. But um, – if they play the Dodgers, I just don't see them being able to beat Scherzer and that and that LA team. I just don't see it. So, Will, you know, you briefly mentioned the Braves, and uh, you know, I think it's funny. Braves fans have had this roller coaster of, "Hey, we're going to be really good," and then Acuna gets hurt, and it's, "Oh, well, it's not, you know, it's injury. We're not going to have a great year." And now, all of a sudden, magic numbers at one. How have they managed to accomplish this? Uh, Freddie Freeman is a stud. We know that. I mean, he's. We haven't really talked about him much in the MVP race because of what Harper, what Harper's doing in Tatis and those guys are doing. But Freddie Freeman is—you can log him for three hundred thirty and a hundred just about every year. And then Austin Riley stepped up uh, big in Acuna's absence, Ozuna's absence. Uh, Albie's has played well, and then uh, the pitching. I mean, the, we didn't really know what to get from them as well because Mike Soroka out with the Achilles and then having to miss more time after another surgery. Uh, but Max Fried has stepped up. I mean, he's been a stud. Coming into last night's start, he was on a 17-inning scoreless streak. For a starting pitcher, that's really, really good. So this is just a team that isn't going to wow you, yet they're kind of like – I'm not going to say they're like the Giants, but in a way that they're, they're not made up of a ton of superstars, but they're just a well-molded baseball team. They do well together. They play well together. They play team baseball. They're scrappy and just find a way to win. Yeah, it's going to be a wild ride uh, the next couple of days and through the playoffs. Um, really quick before we let you go, we're talking to Will Middlebrook, CBS Sports HQ MLB analyst here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline. You played most of your career in Boston, minute or less. Your thoughts on Brady's return this weekend? I can't wait for it. I'm fired up. I mean, that place is going to be rocking. Those fans appreciate and respect everything Tom Brady did for those six Super Bowls. I mean, that. A lot of people say it was Belichick. It was a system, quarterback, this and that. It's Tom Brady. you got to say, oh, it was Bruce Arians as well because he went and did it in Tampa his first year, and he wasn't supposed to do it last year. So they respect him there. That is going to be a great scene. I wish I could be there for it. I was lucky enough to see him play in person a few times up there in Foxborough. It is going to be a great, great weekend for, for Patriots fans. Yeah, I'm expecting a massive standing ovation, a lengthy ovation, and then some typical Boston jeers and anger oh, uh, booze, once the team the gets will going. Come out eventually, That's yeah. right. That's oh, right. Yeah. Hey, Will, thanks for the insight. <laughs> Looking forward to talk to you throughout the playoffs. Thanks, Will. Thanks, guys.
Will Middlebrook's with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Coming up, more week four NFL matchups we're looking forward to, including a tough one for Fitz's Raiders. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's nope. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You could always hit us up on the Spain and Fitz Nation. That's where at Josefowski just hit me up with this exchange. My wife, you're watching women's basketball? Me, um, yes, my wife. Since when? Me, the last game was extraordinary. Sucked me in. My wife, how'd you hear about it? Me, Sarah Spain. My wife, who's she? Me, very smart. Should I grill? <laughs> uh, yes, thank you. You're correct on all of that. I'm glad I sucked you in. The game was double OT last time the Sky won. They're currently up 18 to 10 on the Sun. Looking good to start. Thanks for hitting us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. You can always join Spain and Fitz Nason at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. We got to get to some NFL on ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with more than 30 unique coverage options available. Progressive knows small business. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Fitz, you're feeling very chesty about your Vegas Raiders. They are looking mighty good to start, but there is a tough matchup coming in hot off a big win over Patrick Mahomes. They got Herbert and the Chargers, and Ryan Clark was putting some shine on Justin Herbert. We know what Mahomes is. What is Justin Herbert now? Justin Herbert's just like him. He's exactly like him. And think about this, right? If you're Justin Herbert, the first time you ever get an opportunity to play, it's because of a medical mistake with Tyrod Taylor. Guess who's the quarterback on the other side? 15. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And you go toe-to-toe with him. It doesn't look like there's any drop-off from either team's quarterback, and you have to feel good about that. Now, what the Los Angeles Chargers also believe is that Justin Herbert is as good as Patrick Mahomes, that Justin Herbert can make the plays in the clutch moments as good as Patrick Mahomes. And we, what we watched yesterday was Justin Herbert take full control of this team on the last drive. He had opportunities to run the football where he didn't because he believed in himself and what he could do with his wide receivers more than he believed in the play call. And you know what Brandon Staley did? Sat there and let him do it. Why? Because he's an absolute stud and he's a dude. We may be, we're not seeing the changing of the guard, right? Because Patrick Mahomes is going to be here for a long time. But what we are seeing is other people are catching up. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm mm. not going to say that other people are catching up to Patrick Mahomes. I think the Chiefs so far have found themselves in every game, and they've been careless with the football late. And as a result, they've lost games. I've said it all week on different shows. Hang on to the damn ball. Like, that's part of what we expect the Chiefs to do. They've been in a situation, uh, the type of games that they usually win at the end, they've lost so far this year. So I'm not pressing the panic button for Kansas City. I agree with everything that RC has to say about Justin Herbert. And frankly, I've said this to some Raiders fans, too. Like, a lot of Raiders fans were up in my menchies before the season started asking why East Coast Bias hated the Raiders and seemed to love the Broncos and Chargers. It was like this concept. Like I'm saying, no, like, it's possible for all of these things to hold true. Like, the Raiders can be good, and so can the Chargers, and so can the Broncos, and so can the Chiefs, which is exactly what we're seeing play out. So uh, everything that's being said about Justin Herbert is fair and warranted. The thing of it is, I think we also have to tip our hat and say, cool, they've got Justin Herbert. The Raiders have Derek Carr, who is playing at an MVP level right now. So I, I don't have this tremendous, oh, my God, how do you beat Justin Herbert? Because I'm also, I feel like I'm showing up to the fight with an equal caliber weapon on my side with Derek Carr playing quarterback. Well, we know how we get prisoners of the moment. And, right, Patrick Mahomes, according to last season before that Super Bowl loss, they were going to win 11 Super Bowls in a row, right? And I'm not saying that couldn't happen. I just do think that we get so fired up about the shiny object. And we forget how difficult it is to put together wins 
season after season, keep all the different pieces. And the Chiefs are going through something right now. I still have a, a ton of faith in them. But, yeah, it's looked sloppy, and they haven't looked the same. And Justin Herbert looks really good so far. We'll get a chance to see how good he can be and how good your Vegas Raiders and Carr can be in that matchup. That's going to be a good one. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Also looking forward to Cardinals-Rams. This is a Cardinals team that looked a little shaky in Week 3. This is not, you know, it's a more complete team than I thought maybe when the season started. Still some questions about them, but that offense can power them through some bad stretches. But they're going up against a Rams team that's been playing so well that we're hearing a lot of Matt Stafford, MVP, Rams in the Super Bowl talk. Two 3-0 and teams, who you got? Yeah, and this is really interesting to me because I, I feel like the Rams are the more complete football team top to bottom. You're absolutely right. It felt a little bit like the Cardinals fell asleep against the Jags. They, they needed the wake-up call, the inevitable trap game we always hear about. But also, the Cardinals survived a weird game against the Vikings that I thought they were going to lose. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to have the same standard here as I was just talking about with the Chiefs, like sometimes you find yourself in these weird games. But the Cardinals have won one of those. So I don't want to overstate how good the Cardinals are. I think what's stuck in our head is how great the defense looked week one against the Titans where they just looked shell-shocked. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, I believe the Cardinals have a good amount of talent on the defensive side of the ball. They're a pretty good defensive team with a great offense. They're taking on what I believe is going to end up being the Super Bowl representative from the NFC. The Rams are just stacked top to bottom, and they look really tough to beat. By the way, my nipples appreciate them taking down the bucket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your nipples are safe for now until you do something stupid, put something else Nips on the line. Nips are happy. By now, the way. I'm going to avoid I'm gonna avoid putting my nipples on the line again for the rest yeah, of the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had somebody else uh, <laughs> offered up to the sacrifice that no one asked for. Oh, we'll check in on that a little bit later in the show. We've got yet another one of those idiot gas bags betting against himself. Interesting stat, though, here. Not that surprising to find out that the Cardinals – have a long losing skid against the Rams. They've not beaten the Rams in their last eight matchups, which is the entire career of Rams head coach Sean McVay. So you say, all right, you know, the, the Rams have been doing a nice job under McVay. Not that surprising that an upstart young Cardinals team hasn't been able to beat them. But the Cardinals also haven't beat Matt Stafford since 2015. Okay? Mm. That's with the Lions. That's not a team that has a, usually a winning record against really anyone. But they haven't beat Stafford since 2015. Um, he beat the Cardinals in 17, 18, and 20. Uh, they were tied in 2019. That's the most Lions thing ever. So interesting to see that matchup this weekend and really get a better feel for whether the Arizona Cardinals can put together a full game. I think that's what they'll need to actually get a win over the Rams. Uh, finally, Panthers-Dallas. This is another one. I, I had it wrong. I really didn't believe... Um, that the Panthers were going to have their QB situation figured out. I just wasn't sure about Sam Darnold. You were pretty hot on him redeeming himself here, and so far, so good. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I, we'll see now. Like, it's easy for me to puff my chest out and be like, I told you, Sam. And things get a little tougher now. No Christian yep. McCaffrey, obviously, right now, taking on a Dallas defense that looks much better than it did last year, obviously. Uh, and everybody's in love with Micah Parsons, understandably. Like, they're just they're good and pieces Diggs, to the Diggs Dallas has been defense. Great. Yeah, yeah, so I, I feel good about the Cowboys in this matchup, but I expect to see the Panthers still show up, and that in and of itself can be some indication of where they are. Yeah, the, so far the two wins that mean not a lot to me are their defeats of the Jets and the Texans, and then they took out a Saints team that looked completely deflated and has been extremely inconsistent. The Saints, as Mina Kimes said on the Mina Kimes podcast with Lenny, uh, only play weird games now. 
Uh, the Saints are sort of taking the mantle from the Seahawks. Like, it's impossible th- for them to play a normal game. Uh, so I don't know how much that win over the Saints means for the Panthers. Coming up, Drew Bledsoe is going to join us to talk about some more Week 4 matchups here on Spain & Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain & Fitz, the podcast. Spain & Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And with all eyes on this matchup, I figured the best thing that we could do is talk to somebody that knows the Patriots better than just about anybody. So we head over to the Goodyear hotline where we are joined by former NFL quarterback Drew Bledsoe. Uh, Obviously, Drew, you know this organization. You know the fans. Let's start early on with that. When the fans are sort of given this opportunity to celebrate the return of Brady, how do you think they'll handle it? Well, you know, my first year when I came back, when I was playing for the Bills, um, uh, which is kind of funny. It was the only time, uh, or it was the first time I played in Gillette Stadium. I had to play in the old Foxborough Stadium when I was there, right? Uh, but I came back, and uh, they were very, very kind in uh, introductions. You know, I got introduced. They gave me a very warm ovation, which was very, very nice. But the rest of the game, they were totally against me, right? So it's like uh, I know that Tom's going to get a big, you know, bear hug from the uh, – from the fans when he's introduced the interesting piece will be to see who they cheer for during the game whether they're cheering for tom or whether they're cheering for the patriots drew there's a fascinating meeting of the minds here we just had seth wickersham on the show and he said he thinks even though a lot of people would pick a better bucks team led by brady here his money's on belichick do you think that there's something to be said for the coach who worked with tom for 20 years knowing just how to attack him well, you know, look, there, there, there aren't that many secrets in the NFL, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's all on the film. And, you know, the way that you, the way that you go after Tom is you, you get pressure up the middle so that he can't step into throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going to go out and run around and beat you with his feet. Um, he wants to step up in the pocket and deliver the ball. Um, and so that's part of it. But then the other part of it is got to force him into those situations. You know, the, the Bucks have been throwing the ball a ton. Um, but if you just only go at it from a pass rush standpoint – you know, then, uh, you know, then they can, you know, gash in a running game. So it's going to be a very interesting matchup. You know, I don't think there are a lot of secrets between the two of them. Um, but I also know that after facing, you know, a lot of Bill Belichick coach defenses um, and then, you know, working with him as a, as a coach, um, what's on film for the Patriots is not what's going to be on the film on, or on the field on Sunday night. They're going to change it up. There are going to be a lot of different looks. There are going to be a lot of things going on that, and it's not only to mess with Tom, but it's to mess with the rest of the, the rest of the team as well uh, up front and in the secondary. Um, so it'll, it'll be a it'll be a it'll be a cool matchup. Um, you know the Beckon- the Buccaneers are a better football team right now, um, but you know that the, the better team doesn't always win. So it'll be it'll be a cool matchup to watch. I mean, you mentioned that Drew facing Bra- facing Belichick in that situation. When you're getting something you haven't seen, like sort of, how do you process it? What's what is Brady going to go through throughout the game to figure those nuances out? You know, it, it, it'll be that, that that part of the chess match will be interesting um, because you know when you when you face one of those the, the the Belichick coach defenses, what you see in the first couple series is not necessarily what you're going to see the rest of the game. Um, you know, sometimes they'll come in and, and uh, you know, they'll want, they'll want to see what you want to do, uh, and then they adjust off of that. And the, the, the thing that those teams have been the best at um, forever and ever um, is not only their pregame preparation, but then their in-game adjustments to what you're doing to try to attack them. 
Um, and so I think that they'll probably you'll probably see some defensive uh, schemes that will morph and change over the course of the game out of the Patriots. Um, and then from Tom's standpoint, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, the, he knows what's going on. I'm certain that their defensive audibles will not be the same as they've been for the last 20 years because um, he knows what all the hand signals mean and all of that stuff because he's seen them in practice for 20 years. So they probably won't, you know, those, those will change. Um, but, you know, the chess match will be really interesting to watch between the two because they were together for 20 years. I mean, come on. That's a long time to be together. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they know each other intimately, and so it'll be interesting to watch how they both approach it. If I'm Brady, I'm just staying away from Belichick pregame. There's going to be some weird Jedi mind trick stuff he's going to be trying to pull. I'm not sure how or what, but there's going to be something there. It's made in fits. We're talking to <laughs> NFL, uh, former NFL quarterback Drew Bledsoe. Um, you know, I, I was looking at Mac Jones and the expectations people had for him after the start. I've heard a lot of people saying that Belichick might have given him too, too much, that he looked very free in that first game and now looks like he's overthinking things. They, they threw the whole book at him, 20 years worth of plays and everything else. Um, maybe beyond just Mac Jones, to all the rookie quarterbacks, their record is not good. The only win is against another rookie quarterback. What have you seen from all the young guys so far? Well, look, man, being a rookie quarterback that's starting in the NFL week one is hard. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's hard. You know, the game's a lot faster. There's so much more information. You have to be so precise. You know, the windows you're throwing into are so small. Your anticipation, your accuracy, all of those things, you know, have to be so, so precise. And the other part of it is, you know, when you're, um, you know, a rookie quarterback that was drafted in the first round, you're going to a franchise that was honestly not very good last year, you know? And so there's that piece of it as well. And so the biggest thing that, that, um, you know, that, that I would hope for all of the rookie quarterbacks, you know, Mac Jones included, um, is that you actually do the opposite of what you're saying, whittle it down, give them a chance to have some success. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have to punt, it's okay. Um, you know, and, and don't try to put these guys in a situation where they're trying to be, you know, Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or, Tom Brady, you know, right away, you know, put them in a situation where they can have some success and understand that it's a long career that you're trying to get out of a guy that you draft in the first round. It's not necessarily about can you win this game this Sunday um, because then you can risk, you know, crushing a guy long-term uh, to try to win one game on one Sunday. Um, so, I, I, you know, if, if in fact they're giving him too much, I hope that they've whittled it down for him and try to simplify it. Which is only so crazy to me because I think about just regular life. Like, I mean, I was a musician for how much of my life. Sometimes you just have a show where you can't play. So, like, some nights, you, even if you know what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing. We put so much in these rookie quarterbacks. True. How much, how much of the playbook do most rookie quarterbacks have a real grasp on four weeks into their first season? Oh, man. You know, look, I can only speak for myself, right? So, I came out of a college program. We threw the ball around a lot, but... You know, just one example, I never thought about protections in college. We had like two protections, and we were never adjusting protection. That was not a thing, right, uh, in, in the college program I was in. And uh, the defenses weren't very sophisticated, so we didn't really have to. But I get to the NFL now, and, and instead of just thinking about what's happening in the passing game, now I'm trying to look at defensive fronts and adjust protection and, uh, you know, handle that part of the game as well. So that was thrown in my lap. Um, and, you know, thankfully, you know, my rookie year, they really tried to simplify things for me. Um, and, uh, so we, you know, kept extra, extra guys in protection. Um, you know, and then, you know, you either, your, your guy either gets open or he doesn't, 
uh, and, uh, you know, if he doesn't get open, you throw the ball away. You know, so, I mean, there, there, there's some things that they can do to simplify, um, you know, for some of these rookie quarterbacks. The problem is when you have a guy, and I think Mac Jones is, is one of these guys that has demonstrated the, you know, the, um, you know, the mental capacity to digest a lot and shows it in practice. And so they have confidence he can do that in the game. Well, when you get in the game, things change a little bit. The defense is more, it's faster, it's louder, you know, all of those things. And so, you know, even if a guy shows the capacity for it in practice, sometimes you have to dial that back a little bit, you know, and if he shows that he can do, you know, a hundred things, you only give him 40 uh, and allow him to try to be really successful at those 40. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to former NFL quarterback Drew Bledsoe, uh, BledsoeWineEstates.com is where people can find the wine. We talked about this last time. I got to get an order in. What are we drinking this Sunday while we're watching? Well, I'm actually sitting here right now sipping on a 2019 Double Back Cabernet, which hasn't been released mm-hmm. yet, and I, I think it's the best wine we've ever made. Uh, pretty exciting day for us today. So back in 2007, the first year I was retired, we got out here. We bought a piece of property. We got the kids, who were all little at the time. I think our daughter was only like two and a half. And we got them out there. They got their hands dirty and actually planted vines in McQueen Vineyard back in 2007. And today we brought in Cabernet from the vines that my kids planted. Uh, And it was the first day that that wine came in. So this is a big day for us. You know, like you have big days all year, but this is a this is a friggin' playoff game today at the winery uh, with the crew coming in from uh, the vines. Brady Belichick. Or, or playoff game of the wine day Which, that the kids were involved in. So cool. I know we got to let I know we got to let you go, but you was like, there is there a go to bet? Like I'm not a big wine guy, right? So if I'm going to try a wine for a Sunday football game, is there like a go to easy thing I should get? You know, and this is honest truth. This is not just me being a homer, right? Because I'm from Walla Walla. If you go to your local wine shop, ask them if they have something from Walla Walla. Uh, because what you're going to get is you're going to get the bang for your buck. You're going to get the better value for dollar uh, if you buy something from Walla Walla. And you should know this, too. If you really want wine knowledge, there's, an, there's an, a fellow NFL vet, Will Blackman, who is yeah, he's uh, great. out there. He is doing a great job representing for the world of wine uh, as an athlete. and He, he represents uh, the very best of the best in wine. So check out check out Will, man. He had a great career in the NFL. Now he's having a great career as a wine guy. Um, so check him out. He's got good recommendations. Listen, I know Fitz's palate. You and I will just talk wine, and we'll send Fitz to go get some wine coolers, and he'll be happier <laughs> hey, and he'll spend $5. I'm going to go get a double back cab. I hope it's a nice, big-bodied finish, and you're going to go ahead and get a Oh, You'll love it. I stand by it. Money money back guarantee. You buy it, Ooh. you don't like it. Send me the empty bottle. I'll send you, I'll send you something else. There we go. Hey, thanks, Drew, for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Drew. Right on, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Former NFL QB Drew Bledsoe, now winemaker on Spain and Fitz, brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Next, we'll check in with how my squad blew a 12-0 lead and is now trailing, plus a little Thursday night football check-ins coming up. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Checking in a little bit here. Uh, We've got some WNBA action going on at the same time that we have Thursday night football. So first and foremost, on Thursday night football, that juggernaut matchup you know you needed between (laughs) the Bengals and the Jags. It's getting us our second straight week of asking who the hell decided these should be Thursday night games. Real barn burner. Uh, I mean, we're zip zip right now, and this is proof positive. (laughs) Who's winning? Yeah, exactly. None of us. None of America's winning on this. Oh, Fitz, the Bears is the 
answer. Ferris Bueller reference. Oh, wow. Catch you're up, right. my friend. Catch up. You're right. You're right. Uh, the, the funny thing to me on this is that I've always said that the NFL should just waste early season games between teams nobody really cares about that are bad and put them in national windows because you'll watch it. You're so thirsty yeah, for it. And That's doing exactly it. what they're, they're doing, doing this it. Year. Yeah, people are watching Trevor Lawrence be one for three for eight yards. So far. And it'd be one thing if he was one for three for eight yards and you were looking at it and saying, oh, okay, well, you know, things are almost there. They're almost clicking. Now he's running around. Nobody's open. And then he runs out of bounds. Like there, there's yeah. very little happening that's of a hope for the, oh, we got, the we got 17 yards on the ground for James Robinson on six. Car- I'm sorry, 24 yards now on six carries. Look at oh, that. I mean, this is just getting like that. That's Meanwhile, how about how about Cincinnati's line? I know it's early. All right. We, don't, we got about three minutes left in the first. But what we have on Cincinnati side is one rush for two yards from Joe Mixon. That's it. That's all they've tried on the ground. And then uh, really just one pass to Tyler Boyd, eat, Boyd eating up most of the yardage uh, on, on the Joe Burrow side, who's six seven for 74 yards. Not too shabby for him, but still it has amounted to a big double zero. Yeah, it looks like a preseason game early on. It looks like sloppy <laughs> football between two teams that are sort of still trying to figure it out. That's not what I would say, though, about the WNBA matchup we're getting right now. Uh, you mentioned it, that your Chicago Sky uh, hopped mm. out to a convincing early uh, lead. That is now not the case as there's about a minute 19 to go in the half, and Connecticut has taken a 6.43-37 lead. So how are we feeling right now, Sarah? I'm a little worried because, uh, as I mentioned, I, my concern was tired legs for both squads, but particularly a Sky team that's got a 10-year vet in Vandersloot, that's got a longtime vet in, in, in Candace Parker, who had a lot of minutes in that first meeting a couple nights ago. Uh, this is where I'm wondering if that hot start they got out to is starting to slow down because of the legs. Again, still well within reach. It's a four-point game. Uh, but this is a tough Connecticut Sun game, team. They had won 14 straight before that loss of the sky in game one, they are at home. So, uh, you know, keep it close is what I want. Keep it close so that you've got time uh, down the stretch to really push for it. You really can't let the sun get too far away because I think combined with the physical vibes of just being wiped from the first game, but also needing to mentally think you've still got a shot to go for a push and stay in it. You just don't want to let them get too far away. Yeah, Jasmine Thomas, by the way, so far the superstar for the Sun, and she's 5 of 6 from the floor with 12 points, uh, obviously having a strong start, 2 for 2 from 3.2. So, uh, you know, you look at the, the start that she's having scoring points and a lot of credit there, right. obviously. And we'll Balance see if they attack from the sky, which I do like to see. Every single player has scored except for Evans, and the starting lineup is a nice balance of, you know, Six 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 for Copper Quigley and Vandersloot, and then five and four for Parker and Stevens. So they're getting some some uh, production up and down, and and that's what I like to see, especially from a team that's going to come in a little tired. Make sure everybody's holding their own. So still still close enough as we're about to head into the half. Um, but man, I'd like another you know twelve twelve nothing run or so to start the second half. Put a little distance in there, make me feel a little less puckered. <laughs> I can't imagine why. I mean, it certainly seems like, uh, you know, at this point, you like keeping things uh, close and dramatic. We'll go no, with that. You no, know? not after no, that okay. first game. I had about three heart attacks during that first double OT. 
Now, if anybody was listening earlier, we uh, we gave out our picks, and for anyone that hasn't heard, over the last last weekend, Sarah Spain five and zero. I was four and one. I bring that back because Hancho PMG hit us up on the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Doctor for Twitter feed and said uh, we pick the easiest games and act like they're we're good at predictions uh, with an LMAO at the end of it. To which I would say, Sarah. Look, we're picking five games, and yeah. they all count. So you know, we never said we were picking the hardest ones. Like, uh, if you go to a sports book and you decide you're going to lay down the cash, you don't say, "What's the really challenging yeah. one here?" I wonder yeah. if I should test myself. Now, listen, oh, you take the easy if money. you're if you're taking our picks and you're betting with them, yeah, you're not going to get huge payouts because maybe we're picking some favorites. Maybe we're we're less likely to pick upsets. But if you had taken my picks to the bank and you had bet for the last three weeks. You would be, let me do some math quickly, 14 and 1. So Woo. I think I would have made you some money. Maybe not as much if I was picking the toughest games, but would I have gotten all of those right? I don't know. We that's just had to make five picks every week. We didn't tell you we were making the toughest picks. That's why, by the way, Spain and Fitz Nation uh, hits us up on the Dr. Pe- Pepper Twitter feed. If you sass me on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, I'm going to call you out. I mean, I'm not taking any of the sass on there. I, I will say, too, I've been doing this underdog pick uh, process on college football uh, with the digital shows on Saturday, so we all have to pick a different game. I am undefeated uh, against the spread on picking. i got to pick one underdog every week, and I get the points Thank if I get you. it right. I am undefeated. So, you know, Annabelle's undefeated uh, chasing down little orange balls with absolutely no process to it. I'm undefeated thinking that I'm kind of smart and I'm, I'm doing really well in our picks and still I'm, I'm getting my butt kicked by you. Like that's yeah. what I get. I get one game wrong and suddenly I'm losing ground. It doesn't make and any sense. Just a reminder that unlike last year in, or the year before when we made a lot of food related bets that you didn't pay up on uh, this year, we bet a polar plunge that needs to be completed before the end of February. So I mean, that is yeah. a good, like, question one. for the crowd. Can I go to Vegas and no. just dip in a pool? No, absolutely not. Okay. Worth noting, by the way, that I definitely got a raw deal there. Even if you do it in Connecticut, I don't think there's anywhere in Connecticut as cold as Lake Michigan in February. I I think you are probably right you're, about that. You got some I don't ponds think that out there that get a little chilly, but I don't think you're getting pneumonia or frostbite. I, on the other hand, I'm going to need to wear a full uh, scuba suit. Spain and Fitz. The podcast. So happy to have a superstar joining us for tonight's after party. Kat Osterman, three-time Olympic medalist, three-time Women's College World Series participant, four-time All-American, the only player ever to be named USA Softball National Player of the Year three times, and she just announced her retirement. Kat, I got to tell you, I'm just impressed that you're still going this year. As I was watching you play, (laughs) thinking... You know, I love when the old heads are still out there. It makes me feel better about myself. You can't retire. We need you out there to keep holding it down for the near 40s. What made you think that this was the right time to, to hang them up? Um, well, you know, I retired in 2015 and then came out of retirement because softball got back in the Olympics in Tokyo. And, um, you know, the Olympics was pretty much the sole reason I unretired. And then Athletes Unlimited became um a opportunity to continue to play and I enjoyed it but you know there's just uh there's just moments when I wake up and I no longer have that strong desire to keep training at an elite at an elite level and I think I told myself that you know as soon as that desire starts to wane it's time to uh time to give it up and um to be honest I have a 10 year old stepdaughter that uh 
the last couple of months I've gotten a few phone calls with um, the whole, I need you home and I need you home now. And it's mm. like, uh, that pulls at your heartstrings. So it's just time to turn over a new leaf and um, she pitches too. So it'll be fun to uh, watch someone else do it now. So I'm always curious because in the moment, great athletes rarely get the, the chance to step back and, and look at their achievements as you start to step away. Is there a moment that you step back and you look back and think, man, that, that sits fondest in my memory? You know, there's a lot of them, to be honest. Um, I think when you play almost into your 40s, um, there's a, a catalog of, of different things that you can pull from. But, you know, just sitting back and even on the drive home with my mom the last two days, talking to her kind of about how my career unfolded. Um, still to this day, I think making the 2004 Olympic team might have been the highlight or the, the pinnacle. Um, just because I was the youngest, I was 21, still in college. And I truly thought my Olympic opportunity was going to be in 2008. I had no idea that I was going to be in the running um, to be on that staff in 2004. And so I think that was just an unexpected yet, um, I want to say, I mean, I I worked hard for that. But um, at the same time, just wasn't sure it was going to actually pan out in my favor. And it did. And I know that was kind of the springboard for me to really, truly continue playing for as long as I did past college. Kat, um, I'm wondering, you mentioned that it's hard to wake up every day and have to do elite level training. Like it's great to ride a bike or, you know, go for a jog, but the kind of work that you have to put in as an older athlete, what was the thing that really started nagging you? What body part or what, what was it? Burpees? What was it that you were like, all right, that's enough of that. Um, you know, I think anything that was uh, upper body stability um, started to really just, I, I've always felt like I was strong in my upper body, um, not push-ups and stuff, but just being able to plank, pull-ups, all of that, and, and slowly but surely, um, those started to take their toll and make me more sore than normal to where I had to reevaluate how I was going to train with my upper body and my shoulder. Um, so that was the first part. And then the second part was just recovery. Um, the older we get, obviously it takes your body a little longer to recover. So, um, there were days that I didn't feel like we're too strenuous, but, uh, the next morning I could still feel the effects of, of the training from the day before. So how do you balance it? You mentioned your stepdaughter's a pitcher. How are you going to balance it for her? Like I've always found it interesting when you've been great at something and given this much sacrifice, how do you sort of push her, but also let her push herself? You know, I think right now the biggest thing is, um, one, I don't let her complain when she has bad games if she hasn't practiced that much. Um, I'll remind her she needs to practice, but I'll tell her, you know what, you need to tell us when you want to go throw or when you want to go hit um, outside of team practice, obviously. Um, And, you know, I think the best thing my dad ever did was tell me that, you know, the day I don't want to do this anymore, he will gladly pick up his golf clubs again. And so, um, you know, the day she doesn't want to do it anymore, I will gladly find another Another thing to invest my time in, but if she wants to do it, I'll obviously invest in her. But um, still putting the ball in her court. If you want to be good at it, then we're going to practice. So, um, you know, either decide that you're going to be good or we're not going to complain that we uh, have a bad game if we're not putting in the time. And um, I think, you know, she's been around for the last two years watching me grind and she knows what it takes. So it's been fun to see her tell me, hey, I think I need to throw or, hey, I need you home because daddy wants to relax after work because he's a golf coach and he's been at the course all day and I don't have somebody to throw to. And I'm, so it'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great message to send too because I'm sure if you've got a super fantastic, stellar, elite parent who has had tremendous success, you're just kind of, 
you know that there was work put in, but you're also wondering, oh, is that just what happens when you play, right? You don't realize that it's not normal to be a multi-time Olympian and player of the year, that you really have to work. There's actually um, a great quote, don't be upset by the results you didn't get with the work you didn't do, which is <laughs> just about nails it. Um, I want to yep. talk to you, Kat, about Athletes Unlimited because we mm -hmm. actually were in the midst of trying to put on a radio show, talking for a couple hours every night without any sports last year um, during the pandemic. And then during everything that went down with George Floyd and the racial reckoning in our country, there were some really dramatic moments around softball and some falling outs between players and teams. And it was right around that time that Athletes Unlimited started taking control and, and running a league. And I, I want to know what your response has been to them sort of offering up this great opportunity, not for just for softball, but volleyball, lacrosse. There's going to be a fourth sport announcing start of play in January of next year. Like Athletes Unlimited kind of came over out of nowhere as this really great opportunity for female athletes. Yeah, I think um, anytime it was presented to us originally, all of us kind of scratched our head. We're a little hesitant just because of the makeup, the fact that you change teams every week, that you know we're drafting ourselves and essentially running practices ourselves with help with the help of facilitators and such, but um, you know, it just wasn't your pure professional league, so to speak. Um, but all of us took a chance. And once you're in it, it's, it's a cool environment because it does empower you to figure out if you're a captain, how are you going to build your team? What's the most important aspect to you now quickly? How are you going to make a team culture to where, you know, you're putting a winning product on the field um, or on the court as quickly as possible. So it allows athletes who one have been coaches to kind of thrive but at the same time it allows athletes who haven't been or who might be younger in the professional realm to really start to think about what things are important um and also it just gives us ownership um so it was truly a really cool environment i think all 56 60 athletes um were committed to being as best we could every single week because you're changing so you have to continue to try to strive to be your best and because you never know, you know, one bad week can, can drop you in the, uh, the draft and one good week can make you higher. And, um, you know, just changing week to week, it'll, it, it allows you to really be able to deal with all sorts of different aspects that sports can throw at you that you may not get just being around the same 15 to 20 athletes um, yeah. if you're on one single team for an entire season. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar, there's a weekly draft and the week's top four athletes select their own teams. And at the end of that five weeks, the player at the top of the leaderboard is the champion. It's wild. It kind of takes an individual athlete within a team sport and makes it gamified so that they're playing both independently and alongside their teams. There's no owners, coaches. Uh, you know, there's multiple cities that it happens in. A lot of it was outside Chicago here in Rosemont and has this sort of fantasy aspect to it. So very cool, very different approach. And it's going to be back in the Rosemont, Chicago area next summer for a third season with some expansion announced. So very fun and very cool for, for softball, trying to find a way post-collegiate. And Fitz, I know you were interested in talking to Kat about the sort of differences between what has become this incredible destination event in the College World Series versus the pros afterwards. Yeah, I mean, Kat, talk a little bit about name, image, likeness, because I think NIL gets such a focus around football and basketball. But for softball athletes that are out there, what kind of opportunity do you think it prevents, uh, presents for them uh, within their sport? You know, I think it allows them to just tap in. There are some that have become, you know, sensations on TikTok or Instagram, whether it's skill-wise or TikTok dances or whatever it is. And it just 
it allows them to tap into markets and the popularity that our sport has gotten. Um, it has grown tremendously in the amount of people that tune in, you know, weekend and week out when season's going on in the spring. And then obviously the world series, it allows those athletes to be able to capitalize on that, which is really honestly um, something that needs to happen because again, you know, especially in the softball market, you don't graduate college and have a contract waiting or even a hundred thousand dollar contracts waiting. Um, and so for softball athletes, I think it allows them to start earning money and generating money and generating a following that can help them prior to professional sports. And, um, you know, I know Montana Fouts at Alabama right now is, is killing it on Cameo. And just being able to take 10, 15, 30 seconds to say hi to someone and make money, I mean, it, it's going to pay off in the long run. And so I think it's an awesome opportunity for athletes. And I know softball athletes specifically are, are trying to find their way, whether it's small companies or apparel or Cameo, to be able to tap in. And as soon as they start generating more following, you know, bigger deals can, can come from that. Uh, Kat, we got to let you go, but I have to ask for fans of you, uh, what's next other than helping out that 10-year-old to be a great great young pitcher herself? Yeah, I'm going to work for a nonprofit in Austin called RBI Austin where we um, serve the underserved community and allow the kids to be able to play baseball and softball, and I am going awesome. to hopefully um, enhance our softball side because the baseball side has been thriving for a while, so going to give the girls the same opportunity. Love that. Hey, thanks for giving us some time. Congratulations on an incredible career. Congratulations on the Olympics and uh, and helping bring in this new new look league of athletes unlimited. I know your name and your and your play was a big part of them getting started and getting it out there. So congrats on on incredible success. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Huge fans of y'all show. So I appreciate oh, thanks. it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.